Coming to you from the Tar Heel State, this is the Carolina Commercial Real Estate Connection, bringing you industry insights and hot takes from Carolina real estate experts, helping you begin, grow, and scale your commercial real estate portfolio. And now your hosts, Tony Johnson and Cameron Pearson. Uh, welcome to another episode of Carolina Commercial Real Estate Investing. Today, we have Tyler Cobble with us. Uh, Tyler is a vertically integrated commercial real estate investor. Uh, Tyler, welcome to the show. Tony Cameron, excited to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Thanks so much. Tyler, could you give everybody a little bit of a background on your company and uh, where you came from, how you got into it? Yeah, so I uh, I dropped out of college after my freshman year. I was bored of going to school and figured it's time for me to get into sales because I'd done really well in that right out of high school. So moved back to Nashville, got a job as a commercial real estate broker with a boutique development firm here in town. I was their in-house leasing agent, worked on a shopping center, an office building, and some industrial. So kind of cut my teeth on a little bit of everything. You know, that firm was developing townhomes. We did some single family custom builds. We did some apartments. So kind of got exposed to multiple aspects of the commercial real estate world very early on. Did my first development back in 2015, I guess is when we started it. Um, so, you know, two years into the business, uh, which was 42 townhomes that we sold down in Bellevue. And then in 2018 left and started my own firms. And, you know, the nice thing about a boutique uh, development company is that they tend to have a lot of things in-house. So they had the brokerage in-house, they had property management in-house, they had project management in-house. So I was exposed to all of that. And so I knew, you know, when I left to start my own firm, I wanted to have every offering in-house so that we could kind of have our hands on every aspect of the deal. So started the commercial real estate brokerage in February of 2018. Uh, it's still rocking and rolling today. We're We've got about five brokers on that side. They still handle my acquisitions as well as uh, mostly investment sales across the country for other investors. I've got a commercial property management company that I started later that year, uh, which now manages about 2.1 million square feet of, of mostly retail, but we do have some industrial and office as well. And then I started my development firm in October of 2020. So you know, since uh, since then, we've done close to $100 million with the projects and uh, you know, keep everything vertically integrated. So it's it's fun being able to have multiple income streams on every single deal that we do. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you know, it's always intriguing to me to hear the first time, the first deal you did. So the forty two townhomes you did. Um, tell me how you got into that. Like, what was your what was your strategy getting in, and how did you uh, get it done? Yeah, I mean, this is a, an example of of how I tell anybody that's new to commercial real estate as to how to structure their value, right? Because a lot of a lot of people mistakenly think like, oh, I found the deal. I should be a 50-50 partner. And that's just so far from the truth, especially when you don't have a balance sheet, you don't have any cash to put into the deal, you don't have any experience, right? So the company that I was working for was doing you know, close to a thousand townhomes, either under construction and permitting or in planning by the time that I left. So I got to sit in on all the development meetings every week for two years before I put together my first deal to see kind of how they looked at townhome developments. And I found a two and a half acre lot down in Bellevue, which was like the one flat piece remaining down in that part of town. And uh, it was zoned for, I want to say like 57 townhomes uh, right off the bat. And uh, the owner wanted a million dollars for it, or probably more than that. We ended up settling at a million dollars, but 
ended up negotiating that, bringing it to the company that I worked for. And I said, Hey, I think we've got a pretty good deal here. Here's all the the metrics. Here's what you guys look for. Here's why this checks all those boxes. Uh, you know, I'd like to be a partner in this. And they said, okay, we'll give you 10% of the deal. And, you know, we'll put um, the money down, we'll bring the bank loan and we'll kind of, sh- you know, give you, show you the ropes, right? We'll give you the guidelines to work within, but you're going to do all the work. And I said, perfect. That's exactly how I want to learn, how I want to learn. So I got 10% of that first deal, but I did everything. I mean, I was on this site every day for almost two years and it was the best experience I could have possibly had because I got to go from A to Z on a development without actually having any money out of pocket on, or really risk on my end. And I knew that the development firm was going to make sure everything went right. So it was a, a pretty good uh, win-win situation for everybody because it was a, it ended up being a great deal for the development firm as well. That's amazing. So I, I'm imagining in there, did you have much experience? So you were out there managing the project, in other words, correct? That's correct. I mean, I, yeah, I was for all intents and purposes, I was the project manager there. And then had you ever done any project management or had you dealt with contractors prior to that? You know, I grew up working in construction in the summers. My grandfather owned a construction company, but really I was the guy that would give a sledgehammer to and say, go dim in the bathroom. You know, right. uh, I was the I was the general laborer there to pick up on, on all the jobs that nobody else wanted to do. Uh, but really, you know, from uh, being in the development firm for two years, I'd kind of seen how that had gone. I'd been walking sites and, and seeing, you know, watching the construction progress. But I also had a team to lean on, you know, so whenever I had questions, I would just ask the owner, you know, hey, what should I do about this? And, and he also had a team, you know, we actually had the GC in house, which was nice. So he was in the office every day. I could talk to him about everything that was going on as well as getting out on site. And, you know, you just kind of pick up on things, right? You look at plans enough and you go out on site and you say, oh, this isn't quite right. You know, this needs to be fixed or, you know, hey, you guys are falling behind schedule. We got to pick this up. So it was uh, there. Was, there was definitely a huge learning curve because, you know, development is, look, there's a reason that developers get paid what they do. I don't care what anybody says. It's because, you know, uh, there are some people out there that think developers make too much money, but they're also taking on an insane amount of risk. And these projects take two years. And, you know, the majority of the work is done before you even see any site work going on. So uh, you're spending a whole lot of money before you even get to the construction phase. Um, And then hopefully you're selling units fast enough to pay down your debt service and make some money. That's right. And a lot of times, you know, these guys are going to strike out. So, I mean, a lot of times you're putting money into deals and the deals don't actually come to fruition. You've wasted two, three hundred thousand. So you have to be when you make these deals and they go, it has to be a home run. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, if you think about it, every investment you do, every development you do is, is a small business, right? You're starting up a business. And 85% of small businesses fail within the first three years, I think. That's a, that's a statistic. I mean, it's like, man, yeah, you've got to really know what you're doing in order to make this work time and time again. Eventually, you're going to have some that don't. You know, It's just part of the game. Absolutely. And the other good thing, even when you get 10% on that first deal, you've got now your feet wet, right? So you got 10% of the first deal for bringing the property then beyond that, once you're done with that first deal, I imagine everything opened up for you. Or could you kind of walk us through how, how did it work out after? Because I mean, obviously, right now, you said since 2020, you've done 100 million, I think, in projects, right? So obviously, it's exploded from there. 
That's correct. I mean, you know, look, the the money's great, right? Everybody, we wouldn't be doing this for free. The money was was a huge help, but the experience was worth ten times that because you know being able to go to the next bank or the next investor or the next seller and say, hey, look, I've done this before. You know, we can close this deal and make it happen. Uh, makes your life so much easier. So yeah, I mean, we we took that and then rolled it into a. Um, you know, doing some smaller commercial deals. You know, I was a commercial real estate broker this whole time, right? So I was still having to to do deals on the side to make money because you don't get paid as a developer until the deal starts selling. And even then you've got to pay the bank back first, right? So, uh, you know, it's it's two years of work without making any money. So I'm still brokering deals and and finding some good commercial opportunities. And and uh, when we left, uh, 2019 was when I first started buying office buildings. And we bought four office buildings that year. And a lot of people are probably thinking, well, pandemic hit in 2020, office buildings went down. And uh, that's actually not not the case for our portfolio. We focus mostly on neighborhood, class B, class C office opportunities. And they did really, really well. I mean, we we catered to small businesses in our portfolio. So uh, that's been that's been great. And, and since then, we've done mostly heavy value add renovations. Um, we've got everything from like a six bay car wash that we converted into five micro restaurants at a bar all the way up to, you know, the biggest project that we're working on today is a 32 acre site in Madison, which is just north of East Nashville, where we are uh, master planning a one and a half million square foot community that will have 1100 apartment units, a few hundred thousand square feet of office space and some ground floor retail. That's that's a, yeah. that's a big that's, that's, that's a big impressive. site. Yeah, that's so huge. Is that this site now? I've seen you. You do a lot on YouTube um, and kind of bring along people with your journey, uh, which I think is fantastic. So you do a lot of recordings on YouTube and kind of bring everybody in, and they get to just know you and follow you on your journey. Is that the project? That's old warehouse area. Am I right on that? It's a bunch of old industrial properties, a bunch of different properties all pieced together. No, funny enough, that one's also 1.5 million square feet, but that one's existing down in Chattanooga. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So, t- so tell me a bit more about uh, one or the other. Let's pick one or the other and kind of walk through what what the site is and how you kind of walked yourself through to what your redevelopment idea was. Yeah, we'll dive into the one in Chattanooga. I actually haven't produced any content on the one up in Madison because we're in the boring phase where okay. nothing's really happening, right? We we bought it two years ago and and it's all, you know, dealing with the Metro Nashville to get TIF financing and 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 you know, selling lots and stuff like that and, and master planning and dealing with leases. So down in uh in Rossville, Georgia, it's about 10 minutes south of Chattanooga. So Chattanooga MSA. Uh, you know, Chattanooga is basically right there on the border. So this is I don't know, two parcels across the border. It's okay. an old historic wool mill that uh, we bought last year, 1.5 million square feet. It's 29 buildings on 32 acres. Also, same size site, uh, which is pretty funny. Um, but, you know, it's it's right in the path of growth of Chattanooga. And we were able to get it for 5.6 million. I mean, if you, ra- if you run the numbers on that, it's barely over $3 a square foot for the property, for the buildings existing. And, you know, a lot of these are masonry, uh, you know, tilt up concrete, solid steel and timber. I mean, it's, it's a pretty great property and we bought a cash flow. You know, there were about, there's about 250,000 square feet, give or take occupied out of the 1.5 million. And, uh, you know, we're going through and just fixing some buildings up and, and, uh, leasing those out to get it to where it's cash flowing even more so that we can start dumping that money back into the property and fixing more buildings up and moving on to the next one. But 
you know, that one's really unique. It's right in the middle of, of Rossville. And Rossville was basically built around this mill. Uh, back in the early 1900s, it was a mill town. And at one point, it was the largest wool factory in the United States and possibly the world. They were they employed over 3,000 people and had their own semi-pro baseball and basketball team. So there's a lot of history there that we want to preserve. Um, so at some point, we'll have uh, a uh, museum on site to kind of commemorate you know, the Peerless Mill. But we are also right in the middle of town. So we figured, you know what, why not build basically a self-contained city on this parcel? Right. We've got enough buildings to to really go mixed use, go all in on that aspect here. And, and if you follow my journey at all, you know, on YouTube or anything like that, we I like to do very interesting, weird deals, right? We don't do your boring dollar general uh, type of, of projects. We want something that we can kind of go make an impact with. So we uh, we've master planned, you know, mixed use from, you know, office lofts, apartment lofts, uh, retail restaurants, a brewery, distillery. We want a grocery store there. It's in a food desert. We'd love to have a vertical farm on site. Uh, we're going to have an outdoor amphitheater there at some point, and as well as some light industrial. So it's a true mixed use site where you can live, work, and play, and uh, you know, enjoy your time there. Yeah, I mean, just that concept alone is is so different that um, you know finding the deal you did was such a good deal. But even if you, you didn't have that good of a deal, you'd still have something to work with there. That's that's amazing. That's right. Yeah, I mean, we're 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 very intentional about how we buy projects because we know that if we buy right, no matter what our plan is, we'll always have multiple fallback plans. Because you know, I mean, we could sell off some buildings there if we needed to generate some cash flow to go fix up some other buildings. We could. Um, you know, lease them as is. We could fix them up ourselves and lease them then. I mean, it's in an opportunity zone, so we could take on some OZ investor capital if we want to. I mean, we have multiple options and different directions that we could take with the property. You know, it it could end up being a one and a half million square foot Amazon distribution center, but you know, we don't want to do that. But it it could become that if if it needed to. So that's the that's the importance of buying properties where you have the flexibility to do, to have multiple exits. Absolutely. And that's, you know, proper underwriting because, you know, some people could look at it and say, oh, my gosh, it's just based on what you're saying. You know, I think you were saying maybe it's down to three dollars a square foot on existing buildings or whatever. But, you know, a lot of people could walk into that and get themselves in a huge mess if you still don't have the planning for all of the different strategies that you just quickly lined out. You know, having that knowledge and information is what makes someone successful in this industry. So it's one thing finding a deal. It's another thing to understand what to do with the deal. So that's that's, it, that's exactly right. I mean, people ask me all the time, like, how do you underwrite a deal like that? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't do that. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have to because you know we we knew that we were buying it for three dollars a square foot. So I, where are you going to go wrong with that? You lease up one building and it's already cash flowing enough to make it make sense. So, um, you know, we we kind of look at it as as one building at a time. It's one project that just happens to have 29 individual projects on site. So we're looking at each building individually, you know, because you can get very overwhelmed very quickly if you look at it as 1.5 million square feet. Sure, we bought it for $3 a foot, but you're probably going to have to put, I don't know, 20 to $40 a square foot into it. You start running that math over one and a half million feet and very quickly you're spending $60 million. So I don't have that kind of cash sitting around. It'd be amazing if I did. I'd probably be on an island somewhere, but uh, instead of doing real estate. But, you know, when you look at it at one building at a time, you're like, okay, I mean, for less than a million dollars, we can get this one up and running and, you know, rent it out for 
you know, basically a 10 to 15% cap rate, take those funds, move it into the next one, just rinse, wash, and repeat. And the first, did you do, um, was, were the funds, the 5.6 that you, you took it down with, is, is that personal funds or did you raise capital? How did you structure that? Yeah. So I've got two partners in the deal. Um, and it's not a syndication. I mean, they're, they're actual partners and then we got a bank loan for the rest of it. Okay. Yeah. And I think something like this that we should bring up, you know, you're doing deals, this structure, I mean, this size, which is great, but something that you should always think of, especially when you're newer and even continuing on, you have multiple lines of income. So whenever anyone's trying to be successful in anything, I always say, you you can't just focus on just real estate, even in the beginning, maybe not five years down the road, you're going to have to have multiple streams of income. So besides you doing the real estate investing, you have your brokerage company, you do property management for, I think you said you have 21 million square feet, or is it 2.1 million square feet? 2.1 million. uh, 2.1 million uh, square feet that you do property management on. So can kind of walk us through how do you manage all that? And how have you built out your team? And what processes have you put in place to do all these things? Yeah, I mean, I've got I've got good partners on the property management side that that bring the you know they they manage, I think twelve hundred apartment units down in Austin, Texas that they own themselves. So they already had all the systems in place on that side. So we just make sure to hire the right people. Um, on the brokerage front, you know, I used to handle a lot of the deals myself, but now I've built a, a pretty badass team around me that handles everything without me having to really step in and, and run the day to day. So at this point, you know, we we generate a significant amount of leads from our podcast, from our YouTube channel, and from my blog. So I just make sure to keep producing content to keep these guys busy and happy. Uh, and then on the development side, I've got a team there as well that uh, you know really kind of runs the day to day. My my uh, role is more of the business development and acquisitions front, and then I'll kind of come up with the concept, and then the team runs with it. So, you know, I've got five brokers on on the at the brokerage. I've got um, three members of our property management team, and I've got three members of our um, development team as well. So when you were setting all of this up for yourself and getting your real estate company and growing, you know, what what systems did you put in place? Did you use um, like an entrepreneurial operating system, like an EOS type of structure? Or did you just create your own structure? How did you start to build up uh, processes, core processes for your company? How did that work? Yeah, I mean, we really just created our own. You know, we have our our weekly cadence. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm not too involved in in the property management side of things outside of business development. Um, but it's more along the lines of just hiring the right people that have some experience in this realm and, you know, leaning on them to provide you with everything that you need on a day-to-day basis. Right. I mean, as we go through it, we'll set up a new system. Uh, we use Trainual to write out all of our policies and processes. That's a pretty great, uh, you know, online program there. And, uh, it, it makes my life so much easier, you know, so we will have weekly meetings and I'm in the office. The team can come and grab me whenever they need to. And we've got, you know, our checklists and and our timelines and stuff like that that we'll do for every single project that we're working on. Um, you know, on the property management side, we're setting annual budgets and, you know, we're doing reporting every month for the investors. Um, you know, on the brokerage front, it's it's weekly meetings and, you know, phone calls. Whenever they need me, they call me. But the nice thing about the brokerage side of things is that they're contractors, right? I don't have to worry about how many hours they're spending on every single deal. As long as they're getting deals closed you know, the ones that I'm giving them, then we're all happy. 
Awesome. So when you so you're out doing business development, you're saying still and creating content. I know a lot on the uh, YouTube and stuff. So do you still go out and hunt deals yourself, or do you just yeah. have people bringing you deals? How, how do you normally land deals? Do you do off market where you're finding stuff through like a reonomy, or is everyone just bringing you deals? It's a little bit of everything. I mean, you know, back when we were first getting started, it was more of me knocking on doors, meeting with everybody that I could, looking at stuff on LoopNet and Craxy. Um, but, you know, now that we've built a big enough platform, a lot of deals just get brought to us, right? I mean, I bought a tower in downtown Chattanooga back in 2021 based off of a, an Instagram post. And, uh, you know, the Peerless Mill came from a contractor that I talked to while I was at the uh, at the tower. Right. So, you know, there, there's so many different ways that you could find these deals. I mean, we've gotten some off of mailers, we've gotten some off of cold calls, and we get a fair amount of inbound because we just, I create so much content around, you know, how to sell your property or how to invest in real estate or how to lease up your property, stuff like that. Uh, that, you know, nowadays we've got all of these fishing lines that are out there working for us 24 seven. So while my team's out there hunting, um, you know, we, Chances are good if they come back without a without a kill, we've got something on a, on the line. So it's uh, it's it's pretty nice now. I mean, it took us years to build up to that point, and it used to be a lot of cold calling, door knocking, and you know, going to every single networking event, meeting everybody I could for coffee, and building up that reputation until we kind of had that in line. Yeah, I mean, the structure alone that you're setting up is is going to be huge, but it sounds like you kind of go through the process. And, and as as you get into it is when you start setting your pieces up on the chessboard. So um, definitely not an overnight thing, I'm sure. Uh, but it's uh, it's it's interesting that you can pull back and have so much time to do your your online media stuff. That's right. I mean, look, when I when I first started the company back in 2018, I was probably in the office 10 percent of the time. Right. I mean, I was just constantly out on phone calls and meetings doing whatever I could to network and meet everybody. And after the pandemic, that kind of changed. You know, I mean, I, keep in mind, you know, I got started in commercial real estate back in 2013. So at, the, at, at that point, I've been doing it for seven years, six or seven years of just networking, pounding the phones, doing everything that I could. So when the pandemic came around and everybody was stuck at home or stuck in their office or, you know, not getting together, that's when I was able to start focusing on the content. And then, you know, by the time... Uh, you know, 2021 rolled around, we had so much content out there working for us that I didn't have to go back to doing all of that. And I was able to build a team kind of around me to start, you know, handling the transactions that we were doing. So what, what is your plan for the future? What are you trying to get into next? Are you just trying to continue developing on or what's your long-term goal? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, long term, we just want to work on interesting projects. You know, I'd like to get this to a point where I'm making about $100,000 a month in passive income so that I can just go do whatever I want, whenever I want. You know, last year, I, I, for the first time, I started taking 30 days off. So, you know, December 15th through January 15th, when most people aren't working, I take that time completely off. Won't look at my email. I probably won't answer my phone call. I said everything to, hey, I'm out of office. Call my team. And, that was great because it gave me an opportunity to kind of work on some other things that I wanted to do. Um, I'm nowhere near that passive income goal yet, but you know we're we're starting to get more intentional about building that. The past few years have been more about building the balance sheet, and we've done a great job of of increasing the net worth. But at the end of the day, you look at that and you're like, man, that's not cash though. 
uh, and, and, you know, that's trapped. I, I would have to sell something to get anything remotely close to that. So, uh, you know, I, I want to lean more into the content, you know, we're, we're actually looking at building out the studio a bit more. I'm going to treat it like a true new studio. So what you see behind me, uh, we'll be changing here in the next few weeks, uh, which is pretty exciting. I mean, this has been a great setup for the longest time for our YouTube videos and interviews, but uh, now we're going to take that to the next level. Uh, I, I really enjoy that side of things. You know, we've started doing some coaching here pretty recently. I released a course last year, so that's been uh, that's been really great to have because you know I, I just think back to when I was first getting started and I didn't have hardly any resources. You know, I mean, I was in a boutique development firm. I was the only in-house leasing agent. There was nobody there to kind of show me the ropes. Back then, there were two podcasts, and one had stopped recording like two years before. So I read through those episodes pretty quickly. There was nobody on YouTube to teach you how to do this. And so I, I really enjoy that side of things. You know, we'll grow the development arm for sure. Um, you know, I'd like to just do one to two projects a year. And then my goal with that, you know, we syndicate a lot of our projects. So we're raising capital from limited partners. And that's great. It serves a purpose. It allows us to scale. But, you know, I, I get tired of dealing with investors and dealing with syndications, right? Because, I mean, you've got 20 to 50 people in these deals sometimes. And, and that's a lot of phone calls if people are, you know, constantly calling you or, or asking questions about things. So, you know, now I'm getting more intentional about taking the the money that we make off of those deals and throwing it into deals where I have one or two partners or zero partners. It's just me. Because, you know, building up that personal passive income um, outside of the company is is pretty important as well. I agree with that. Yeah, I think a lot of people have in the in the past few years really gotten onto the syndication model and done so much. And it's, you know, it's appealing in one sense because you can really build up a balance sheet really fast. But in another sense, you have so much to manage, you have so little ownership, right? So it becomes, it's kind of a balancing act. So it gets you that experience. But at a certain point, just like you say, you'd rather, you know, try and get as much on your own or with just a few trusted partners as possible. I wanted to go back real quick. So you did previously um a great commercial uh real estate course through bigger pockets is is that what you were mentioning before and then you also um have you have calculation sheets on your website that you offer people uh, you have a lot of great content out there now as far as a course you're creating i think i've seen something with that could you kind of walk us through and give us a little more detail on that yeah absolutely so while i was going through uh, the boot camp with uh, bigger pockets. That was kind of what I guess inspired me to put together a full online course. Cause the way that bigger pockets does it, they want you to do like a live training session for 12 weeks in a row. And that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed working with bigger pockets through that. We did some video content for them as well. And uh, I was thinking to myself, you know, there's not really a, a solid online course out there for beginner commercial real estate investors. I mean, we looked at it and there's some stuff, but it's very like, you know, not even 30,000 feet, it's 60,000 feet level. And so we spent 12 months putting together a pretty intensive course that, you know, by the end of it, I'm pretty confident you're going to be able to buy your own property. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody that goes through it is going to do that uh, because, you know, some people just have a have a hard time taking that leap, but it's got all the resources, everything that we use in it to buy our deals from our you know, due diligence checklist all the way to all of our underwriting spreadsheets, it's in there. And we initially just launched the course. And then in the last few months, we've launched CRE Launch Pro, 
which is our, I guess, full intensive program. So it includes the course, community, and coaching as well. Because what I found, a lot of the feedback I was getting from my students was, hey, this is awesome content, but I also like need somebody to mentor me through the process and kind of just handhold me through this. So I was like, cool, we, you know, we can do that. So yeah, it's uh, it, it's been it's been really fun. I mean, I, I didn't think that I was going to be doing that when I started my YouTube journey. I was just, you know, hey, let's just start creating videos because nobody's doing this, and now it's it's kind of grown into its own thing, which is has been really fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you definitely have one of the biggest names out there on YouTube, especially with commercial real estate. So it's it's been great just me being bystander watching you over the past few years and how you've grown. So that's amazing. And I think, oh, thank you. you know, having having that course is amazing. And really, the most important thing, I think, to, you know, gain it, and I think it ha- it's invaluable to people is being able to have that mentor, somebody that's gone through it that they can reach out to adds so much tremendous value. You know, of course, is one thing, but being able to add the ability to have a, a coach slash mentor, you know, that's that can add that can be invaluable for anybody in their career if they really want to if they really want to full charge it and get going. They really need to invest in coaching mentors. I'm a big believer in that. I don't think you can go this alone. It's too complicated. I think you're absolutely right. I mean you know, look, there are some personalities in commercial real estate that make it look like they're the only one doing everything. And I can't stand that because this is a team sport, man. I I mean, I could not do any of this on my own. I have a phenomenal team around me. I've got a great group of mentors. I mean, I've basically got a mentor for everything. If I want to do a car wash, I've got a mentor for that. If I want to do self-storage, I've got a mentor for that. If I want to do medical office buildings, I've got a mentor for that. You know, you've got to it's uh, I think the mistake that a lot of people make, and I made this myself when I was first getting started, is there's one guy out there that's going to show you how to do it. And and that couldn't be further from the truth because there are so many different avenues that you could take in commercial real estate that the person that is an incredible triple net retail developer is not going to be able to show you how to do an historic value add project, right? Uh, they could probably help you with a lot of aspects of it. But you really want the person that could say, hey, here's how to do new market tax credits and here's how historic tax credits work. And here's how to be careful, you know, when you're renovating a hundred year old building to make sure that the structure stays intact. You know, there's just different nuances to every single side of it. So I've gotten more intentional over the years of just building out my mentors on that side and and being sure to bring them value as well. Right. This isn't a one sided thing. If I can help them by you know, being the boots on the ground, you know, I mean, these guys are, you know, 50 plus, right? I'm 31. So I've got a lot more energy and a lot less cash than they do, right? They've got all the cash, but they don't want to spend the time executing on these deals or going out and finding them. So if I can find them an opportunity and then I can run it for them and make them a lot of money, I'm hands down going to do that just so I, you know, return the favor because it makes sense for both of us in that respect. And, And that's the thing too, is, you know, when you're first getting started, you might think that you don't bring a whole lot of value to the table, but that's not true. A lot of people that have been doing this for years, they don't want to find the deals. They don't want to deal with the headache of running the project. They need somebody like you to help them go through the process and run the day-to-day so that they can you know, take their family to the beach for three weeks. Well, and and you giving back the way you do, it, I think it's always exponential that it comes back to you. So it's it, you know it's it's um, you know really cool that you would do all these things. You can tell the passion that it would take to to want to do these things and give back and and teach and coach. And um, gosh, it, I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. 
Yeah, one thing I, w- I would want to say is that, you know, you, a lot of people say, you know, focus on one asset class, focus on one asset class, become a specialist in that. And I, I, I listen to that sometimes. Me, I've been in construction for almost 20 years now and, and dealt with every type of asset class in commercial since that's what I'm building every day. So to me, I, I like all the asset classes, but I think it's very important, like you said, find a specialist that does whatever you want to do. So if you go find a historic building, you know, that needs to be renovated, you have to find somebody that's doing historic building renovations, not somebody that's developing new class A office building. They're not going to, they're not going to help you with that. Right. That's exactly right. A great, a great person highly successful, but they're going to have no idea how to help you prevent, renovate an old historic building, nor how to get some tax credits from the County on that and everything else. So you have to find the right person for each type of property that you find. And so it's, always all about networking getting your name out there even just in your local community going to local local real estate events and just letting people know what you're looking for what you're doing do you still get involved in your community and your real estate events around you tyler yeah i mean i, I couldn't agree with you more i mean look when you're first starting out too, specialize right like focus on one thing because no matter which avenue you take there's still so much you have to learn specifically about that type of asset don't be the guy that tries to do everything or girl. Don't don't go out and try and do everything. You know, I I when I first got started, I did leasing. That's all I did. I did leasing. Sure I did leasing for retail, office and industrial, but all I did was leasing. I didn't even think about sales until I was 2 to 3 years into it, which, you know, allowed me to really get good at leasing. And then I focused on sales for 3 or 4 years after that and I got really good at doing sales. And then, you know, since I've been doing you know, we started off on office. Well, I didn't distract myself with retail when I was buying properties. We started off just on office, then we moved into retail, and then we moved into industrial. So I think it's very important that, you know, look, you can get into this spot where you're doing a little bit of everything, but make sure that when you're starting out, you just focus on one thing because you're going to have plenty to learn there, I promise. Um, and yes, I, I I love getting involved in in our community here. I mean, I've got my own you know, commercial real estate investor breakfast that I host every couple of weeks at Retrograde Coffee here in Nashville, just to hang out and meet with other investors. We do a young investors happy hour once a month. I do. Uh, I'm involved with the Urban Land Institute. I'm on the board for the Entrepreneurs Organization here in Nashville. You know, I, I try and think not just in terms of real estate, but what other industries that would be relatively adjacent can I go get involved in? Because if you think about it, like if you're only going to real estate networking events, everyone there is also trying to find clients or they're trying to find this, that, and the other. And sure, you can find people to do deals with, but go places where nobody else is, right? Maybe you go to like a CPA conference. Maybe you go to some sort of real estate law conference because those CPAs and attorneys, they have a ton of clients that need somebody like you that, you know, to put money into real estate or get their buildings leased up or do whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm all, I'm always trying to get out there. I could always do more. And of course, you know, we were talking about this before we went live. I, I recently joined GoBundance, which is a great masterminding group. You know, join masterminds, get out there and and find people that are high level that can can help you along the way. Because it wasn't, you know, until I went to a couple of GoBundance events back in like 2017, 2018, that I learned about syndication. Well, that completely changed my trajectory. You know, in 2019, we syndicated our first deal because of that. It makes uh, makes a huge difference, the things that you'll learn at these events. 
Absolutely. And the good thing, too, when you're dealing with these, as you were saying, you know, going to some of these events that people aren't in real estate, even like medical dental conferences, these people are typically extremely business and they don't know they're extremely busy and don't know a lot about real estate. But they do have a lot of money. And so that would go back to your original point where you were saying, "Where how can you bring value? Well, you can bring value to people like that by finding the deals, right? Uh, running a project, delegating out different aspects of the project that they don't have time to do, but they do have money that they would love to invest and get a good return on. So you network with those type of people that don't have the spare time or they don't, they're in a successful enough position where they really don't want to get involved in that, but would be happy to invest some money in to make more money because those type of people like to make money passively. So, you know, those are the things to think of when you're trying to get more involved and grow and expand your business. So that's that, awesome insight, Tyler. Yeah, that's exactly right. Look, you know, when you're going out and raising capital, the thing that I hear from a lot of first-time capital raisers is, I just don't feel comfortable asking for money. And I think that it's important to reframe that. You're not asking people for money. You're giving them an opportunity to multiply their money. And I don't know a single person that has money in this world that is not interested in multiplying their money in some way, especially when they don't have to actively do it themselves. So you know, once you've got a track record behind you, I mean, you're you're giving people an opportunity to multiply their money. I mean, we we make our investors on average two times their capital in five years. I mean, you give me a hundred thousand dollars in five years, I'm giving you two hundred thousand dollars back, and you didn't have to do a, a thing for it. So it's it's a really good opportunity for a lot of these people to to just passively continue to grow their wealth. Yeah, and that kind of growth is this is about the only industry you can pull that off on. So. Um... Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, I mean, with the real estate, you're getting a tangible asset that's going to back up your money as opposed to a stock, a company that completely could go out of business and flush and there's nothing there, right? And you you have little to no control when you invest in a stock. You know, the stock can go up just like the real estate can go up, but the stock can also crash and you have no say, you have no idea. When you're investing in real estate, even as a passive investor, you get to see what that real estate is. You could drive by and look at the real estate. The real estate is a tangible piece that you can always say, oh, I own a piece of that, right? So it's a whole different ball game. I, I really feel like there's a whole lot more appeal that you can tell someone, you know, you have this tangible asset and you have, you know, insight and we're going to give you quarterly updates and you're a lot more involved with your investment than just a stock that you're purchasing off the uh, NASDAQ or the Dow or whatever. That's right. I mean, commercial real estate tends to outperform the stock market by far, especially if you've got a good you know, deal sponsor. Could you go find other investment vehicles that could give you outsized returns compared to that? Sure. I mean, look at venture capital. I mean, it's not uncommon for you to see a five to 10 times plus exit but how many venture capital deals go to absolute zero because they don't actually own any assets and it's just a software idea and you know that software doesn't end up working out you don't have anything that you could sell off really to to make any money back whereas real estate you know maybe you fail but at at the worst to I me mean, the property's probably still worth what you paid for it you know hopefully you can get your money back and have a small loss but it's not going it it typically doesn't go to zero can it go to zero sure but you know, if real estate values are going to zero, we've got bigger issues going on in the world that we need to deal with. <laughs> well, yeah, and you can base it on a liquidation number going in for safety. I mean, like you said, so the the venture capital obviously risk versus reward, but the the, the downside risk going to zero, I'm not in. That's exactly yeah. right. I mean, look at look at Peerless Mill in Chattanooga. You know, we bought it for five point six million. It appraised for eight point five. I think today it's worth over ten. 
Worst case scenario, we get trapped. We're like, hey, this isn't going to work. Like, okay, let's sell it. Even if we sell it for six or seven million dollars, which is less than what it's worth, we're st- we're still going to walk away with money. You know, it's just it's it's so important to make sure that you buy right. Wow, absolutely, yeah. So that's a that's a great uh, little thing. If you buying right is the most important thing in my deal, especially in development. If you can get the land right, then the deal can work. If you overpay for the land or don't get good terms or get something wrong with the land, you can screw up the whole deal. So going back to you talking about development, I mean anything with development, it is all the money's made on the buy, right? So that's right. however you whether it's terms that you can structure you know, to less cash out of pocket or some type of a owner finance or carry back or, I mean, however you can structure a deal. So the buy is the most important part of any of these deals. So the front end, so making sure good terms or getting a good cash price, like you guys sound like you got on that project. That's right. I mean, cause you never know what's going to happen once you actually start construction or, or development. You know, we've got a deal that has taken about two years longer than we anticipated it would because, you know, it took forever to find our construction loan. It took forever for Nashville to give us permits. It took us 10 months to get permits on a renovation. And because we bought it right, we could still sell it today and at least break even if we had to. But we know if we move forward with it, the project's going to be worth a lot more. So, you know, all the investors feel good about it. I feel good about it, but we still have that option. Like worst case scenario, okay, let's just liquidate it. We're fine. Alan, what are you seeing in the current market as far as are you seeing a shift in in what Tony and I have noticed is it's hard to find a deal, especially for the right price, buying right. Uh, a lot of people are still, I think, drinking a lot of the, the the soft drinks and keeping the energy high when there may not be some opportunities that that uh, they believe are there. I think you're right. You know, it's it's interest rates have have gone up the fastest they ever have before, and. When interest rates go up, it makes it more difficult to buy commercial real estate because a lot of people are getting loans to do this. That's one of the beautiful things about buying commercial properties is that you can use a loan and use leverage to multiply your actual dollars in the deal, right? So when interest went up from you know five and a quarter, five, five and a quarter to seven and a half to eight, I mean, you know, I ran the math and you can actually qualify for a set like 17% smaller loan than you could before. So at at a minimum, my opinion is, okay, property values are down 17%. But that doesn't mean that a seller is going to go, yeah, my property is worth 17%. I'll take 17% less today. It it doesn't work like that. And a lot of these sellers are not in a desperate situation where they need to sell. They're getting better incomes than they ever have because rents have gone up really high. And so you've got this impasse where buyers don't see the value because it doesn't make sense for them, which is fair. But sellers also aren't willing to come down on their price. So you know, we're seeing fewer transactions than we have before. There are still people out there that need to sell, right? I mean, their their loans are coming due, or they just need the cash for something else, or you know, whatever else may be going on. And or or they were on adjustable rate mortgages and they're getting absolutely crushed right now. I, I can't believe that people buy any real estate on an adjustable rate mortgage. That has never made sense since the United States was founded. I, I just don't understand why people still do that today. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I mean, there was a story of that guy out in Houston, right? He bought like 3,000 apartment units uh, last year and or two years ago, maybe, with, on an adjustable rate mortgage. And his rate went from 4% to 8% in like six or eight months. And he ended up giving the keys to the bank and disappeared, like lost all of his investor capital. I mean, it was a huge, huge deal. 
But, you know, that's because they bought it at, at the lowest cap rate on an adjustable rate mortgage. So, of course, if you're buying something at a 4% cap rate with a 4% interest rate, it's not going to work at 8, 8.5% interest. It just doesn't work. So, you know, there's, there's uh, I, I, you know, the phrase dry powder. There's plenty of that sitting on the sidelines. I mean, people have been saying that for years, and it's still true. It's just tough finding the right deals that make any sense. Yeah, I really think, you know, the only deals, the deals as far as you buying, buying with cash, there's so much cash out there and people are selling things at record highs still. And then they're trying to replace this money through 1031. So when you're competing and just trying to drop a low offer on a property against somebody that can probably pay more with cash and just has to place the cash to save from paying taxes, you're not going to compete with that. You've really, in order to find a deal, in my opinion right now, you've got to find a situation where you can work with a seller, come up with some creative type of financing where you can meet in the middle so you can maybe pay a little bit more or maybe 20% more to catch up this 17%. So maybe you can pay 20% more, but you do a master lease on the project where you're coming out of pocket little to no money and you don't have to deal with a bank. Right. Or if you can, you know, go get a bank loan and the seller carry 20 percent and you do an interest only loan on that 20 percent for five years till you can figure out what to do. Right. So as long as you can find some creative way to make the deal work, maybe you can pay a little bit more. You know, that's what I say. Maybe it's the price. You can get the price low or you can figure out the terms that work where you have less money out of pocket so you can still make something work and it could be highly profitable for you. That's right. I mean, seller financing is the name of the game right now. That's that's one of the best ways to get any of these deals done. You know, we're we're negotiating on a a car wash acquisition right now where the seller wants, you know, probably three hundred thousand dollars more than the property's worth. Well, I can't buy it at that price, then put three hundred thousand dollars into it, which it needs, and make it make any sense. I mean, the debt service alone is going to be more than what he's grossing right now. So, you know, we're we're about to approach the conversation with him of like, hey, look, you know, it's we're not going to pay you three hundred thousand dollars over. I'll pay you a hundred thousand dollars over, but that hundred thousand dollars you're gonna have to carry at five percent interest, interest only for ten years in order for it to make any sense. Like it just it doesn't, it, the numbers don't work, and nobody else is going to buy it. So might as well try and get creative with him and say, look, we'll get you out of this deal. Uh, just work with us. Yeah, it's like, do you want to sell it or do you not want to sell it? If you don't want to sell it, then just pull it off and. You know, call it a day, but that's awesome. Tyler, I mean, it's been uh, great to get to know you a little bit more and great to hear about what you've been doing. And you've obviously transferred a wealth of knowledge here today. Uh, thank you so much for spending the time with us. Tyler, thank you. Yeah, it really was hugely impactful and and, and it's great to hear your knowledge base on where you're coming from. Absolutely, guys. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed being on the show. And Tyler, if somebody wants to catch up with you to list their property in Nashville or just get in touch with you, maybe to join your course or get more information on your uh, course and coaching, well, how can they do that? What's the best way to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to follow me or, or get in touch with me, Instagram is by far the best option. So that's at commercial in Nashville. There's underscores in between the words of spaces. You can follow me on YouTube at Tyler Cobble, uh, where I'm, you know, we're basically simplifying commercial real estate investing there. And if you're interested in the courses that we're offering, you can just go to tylercobble.com slash course. Awesome. Tyler, thanks again so much for joining us. Hopefully we can have you back soon and hear a little bit more about these other uh, 
one and a half million square foot yeah. project that you're putting together. But uh, thanks so much again for joining us. We really appreciate it, sir. Thank you, Tyler. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Carolina Commercial Real Estate Connection. You're officially one step closer to conquering the market. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. For more information or to connect with Tony and Cameron, check them out online at www.timelessci.com. We'll see you next time.